This is Hair Therapy, cultivating the conversation around hair and scalp health. I am Kate, your host, and as a hairdresser, educator, and a trichologist, I am obsessed with all things hair. Whether you're interested in optimum hair and scalp health or have a hair or scalp condition, we have expert guests who are specialists in their field on a variety of different treatments and solutions, along with inspiring real-life stories. Perhaps you're looking to support someone who's had a hair or scalp concern, or you're a hairdresser who would like to know how to better support their clients. I am here to provide knowledge and information to help. Think of this as your very own audio resource library for you to pick and choose what is useful to you. I'm so glad you're listening today. Let's navigate hair health together to learn and grow. So hi everyone. Today I am very excited to have Dr. Jen Haley and she deals with different types of hair loss, hair and scalp problems, She is also the host of the Radiance Revealed podcast, and she's here to explain what a dermatologist does and the treatments they might offer. So welcome, Jen. Thank you for talking to me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kate. I'm so excited to talk to your audience about hair. So how did you get into dermatology in the first place? What interested you with it? Yeah, I actually wanted to be a pediatrician, and uh, during, so we in the U.S., we do four years of college, university, and then four years of medical school, and then uh, four years of, sub- of specialty training in dermatology. And during medical school, you do rotations in every subject, so you can see what specialty interests you. And ironically, as I wanted to be a pediatrician, I had an afternoon specialty clinic in dermatology, and my jaw just dropped. I thought it was amazing the variety of things you can do. Uh, You can see young people, older people, men, women. Uh, There was a good balance of medical care, surgical care, and uh, lasers were becoming really prominent at the time, which I thought were fascinating. I tend to get bored pretty quickly, and I I thought I'd never get bored in dermatology. So that was over 20 years ago, and it's uh, still going strong. And you're still not bored. No, I'm not bored yet. Yeah. And, you know, we, we focus on everything skin, hair, and nails. Yes, there is quite a lot that you can see, isn't there, from that? A lot of different things. Exactly. So that's what really fascinated me the most is, you know, the skin is an organ, just like any other organ. So we have our kidneys, you know, our lungs, our heart. We have all these different organs in the body, and the skin represents the health of all of your organs. So if you're having inflammation on your skin or you're losing hair, it's not just about the hair. There may be something going on deeper and it's giving you clues to find out what the cause is, which, you know, it's not often as straightforward and simple as, as we would like take a pill or, you know, do X, Y, and Z. It's multifaceted frequently, but um, I love the fact that you can see it without invading anybody's body and and have a clue as to what's going on deeper inside the body. And that's what fascinates me from day to day. Well, I mean, we know that with GPs, they don't really take hair problems very seriously because GPs obviously have to deal with potentially life-threatening illnesses and things that make you very sick. And so when someone goes to them with a hair problem, they don't take it that seriously. And they kind of think, well, it's not going to kill you but it's a symptom of something else that's underlying that 
needs to be investigated. So like you said, it's actually really interesting and it should be taken seriously because it could mean there's something else. Right. Yeah, exactly. I I always tell my patients, you can have the best doctor in the world, the best general practitioner doctor in the world, and they'll be able to diagnose, you know, your heart issues and manage your blood pressure. But unfortunately, during training, dermatology is not mandatory. So you can be the best doctor as a general practitioner and know nothing about dermatology. So that's why there's a subspecialty. I mean, there's a reason we study for three to four years in skin because it's, it's more complex than people often realize. I mean, for hair loss alone, there's entire textbooks written on all of the different causes of hair loss. There's not just one type of hair loss. And when it comes to hair loss, I mean, I personally have a very strong family history of hair loss. So it's an interest of mine. I mean, my grandmother was bald, my aunt's bald. Like we have a lot of women in the family that have lost their hair. I have these horrible memories of my dog running around, stealing my grandmother's wig and running around the house with it, tearing it up like it's an animal, you know? And I, I, I first got a sunburn on my scalp when I was 19 years old. And I said, oh, this must be because my hair's thinning. And let's take a look and figure out, you know, all of the things that I could personally do to help with my hair growth, you know, to maximize my potential, because obviously the thickness of my hair is different from yours and somebody else's, we all have our own. But if somebody's noticing that their ponytail, they, they get an extra wrap or, you know, they're getting sunburned, there's, there's soft signs. It takes about 60% of your hair to be lost for anyone to even notice. Mm-hmm. So even if I have someone come in the office and they say, my hair is getting thin and it's thicker than mine, I believe them because you know, yes, it may be a representation of an internal disease, but hair is very, very important for women, especially. I mean, men as well, you know, but women, especially, it's a very strong indicator of our identity and the way, you know, the way we we feel about ourselves. So there's nothing that's going to cause a woman to get more stress than when she's losing hair actively. It's very, very scary for women. So that's that's where my interest lies in trying to dig deep and figure out what's causing it and what we can do. Obviously, there's so many different types of alopecia and there's not always something you can do, but a lot of the time there is. So it is really important. It's very difficult. Sometimes people don't want to talk about it or they are scared to go and see someone. Or they feel alone. Yeah. And it's not alone because many people struggle with it and are hiding it just like they may be hiding it, right? Well, yeah. And I've had guests to tell their story where they say, they haven't even spoken to their husband about it or their family. That's really hard. Yeah. So when someone comes to me, the way I break it down from a medical perspective is um, there's two different types of hair loss. Alopecia is the word for hair loss. It's just the medical word we use, but it means hair loss. And it's a general term. It's not really a diagnosis. So I will clinically look at it and say, is it scarring hair loss or is it not scarring hair loss? Most hair loss, fortunately, is not scarring. So that means it could be reversible. And then when I ask the patients, it's really important to identify, is the hair falling out quickly? So are they noticing clumps of hair in the shower, in their hairbrush that they didn't notice before? Or is their hair slowly and gradually thinning over time? Hmm. So those are the main differentiating factors between something like androgenic alopecia or family pattern hair loss like my family has which I hate to say this, but often physicians, even dermatologists included, will say, oh, you're getting older. It's normal to have thinner hair. 
Well, it's normal to have a lot of things, but like, I mean, David Sinclair has shown, you know, aging is a disease. We don't have to have that. It's not an acceptable thing that we have to have. So there are ways to control it, even with hormones. And then um, telogen effluvium is a common condition, especially with COVID or stress or any sort of emotional or physical stress where the hair is just kind of coming out in clumps. And then there's the most common thing besides those two is really alopecia areata, which discussed on your podcast as well. But sometimes you can have more than one condition at the same time, can't you? Which doesn't help. Yeah, I mean, you certainly can, you know, especially when you're stressed. (laughs) Stress can cause a lot of imbalances of your immune system and your hormones that can make pretty much anything worse. Not necessarily the cause, but it can make it worse. But certainly you can always have more than one thing, unfortunately. So how do people find you then because in England the most likely thing would happen is they would go to the doctor and then the doctor would refer them to a dermatologist so how do people find you is that still the case or do people come and see you just because they can or how does it work (laughs) we have a really different healthcare here so uh, it depends on your insurance so some people have insurance where they can book an appointment direct with a specialist. Other people need a referral. So it really just depends. But what I do urge people to do is if you are going to undergo treatment for hair loss, give it a good three to six months. And if you haven't seen any improvement at that point, really urge to see a specialist. And if you're having scarring hair loss and scarring, basically you'll see, you know, shiny areas of the scalp with no hair growth, or you'll see what we call doll's hairs where there's multiple little hairs coming out of one hair follicle. And that's a more urgent condition. Um, Most of the scarring hair losses are a little more common in men than women, but they certainly can be common in women. And I would insist on seeing specialists at that point because you typically need to have a biopsy of the scalp, often too, to determine the exact cause. So treatment can be guided that way. Yeah, because I think probably a lot of people don't know that with the scarring hair losses, Some of them can be caused physically, can't they? But a lot of them can be caused by infection and they can spread and they do need treatment. Exactly, because they may not be reversible. So something as simple as uh, like a a fungal infection called tinea capitis can cause hair loss, right? And then there's other conditions like lichen planopilaris, which sometimes you see things on the skin. Lupus can be associated, discoid lupus erythematosus. And then there's central centrifugal (laughs) Scarring alopecia, we like to talk Latin to sound smart, but there's all these different types of hair loss. And even um, a very common hair loss that's often overlooked is traction alopecia, which is basically anytime you pull in a repetitive pattern to the hair, you know, we see this a lot in African-American patients where they do tight braids, but also like I was noticing it because I pull my hair back into a ponytail, like a high tight ponytail at the gym. And then I slowly start seeing a receding of the hairline. And this is very, very common in people when they wear their hair back too tight all the time. Their hairline starts receding because those hairs in the front are under so much tension, they just sort of give up a little bit. So, you know, you put your hair in a clip every day. If you wear tight braids, if you do the same pattern every day, it can often cause that traction alopecia. So you want to mix it up a little bit, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes people are quite surprised when they get told they're causing it themselves from something like that. They don't necessarily associate it with something they're doing. 
Right. That's what I like to discover because that's the easiest solution before you have to introduce any medications or anything that can have side effects. It's like, oh, this is the pattern. And that's what we as dermatologists do, which is pattern recognition all the time. This is the pattern. You know, what are you doing at home? How are you even sleeping? Things like that, because just scraping against the back of a chair all day with your scalp can sometimes cause a little bit of a pattern of hair loss as well. Just like you see in babies, right? When they sleep on the back. (laughs) Yeah. Although they they can't help it, bless them, can they? They don't know. I know. And a lot of women around perimenopause in their 40s start to notice thinning hair. Typically, that's associated with low progesterone. So progesterone is a wonderful hormone. I always recommend bioidentical hormones. It's very wonderful to help. It's a relaxant. It helps you sleep a little bit better at night, chills you out a little bit. And the imbalance of the hormones with low progesterone can often cause... Um, some thinning of your hair. So, you know, before I jump to other things, I have people check their their hormones. What does that mean? Bioidentical hormones. They're basically hormones that are similar to the hormones that we have in our body, as opposed to prescription hormones, which come from uh, mare urine. They come from horse urine. So less side effects, more accepted, and mingles a little bit better with our body, a little bit better homeostasis. Yeah, because I have heard that some people have older ladies have said to me that they didn't want to take HRT because it was made from horse hormones. Exactly. And a lot of the hormone replacement therapy that is bioidentical, it often comes in a cream. Progesterone you can do in a pill, but you should never do estrogen or testosterone in a pill. It should be a cream. And it's in the US, it's compounded. And I'm pretty sure you can get it compounded in England as well. Interesting. Good to know. Good to know. So when do you feel that people should come and see you? So we mentioned scarring hair loss, and then you probably have minoxidil over the counter there, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So if, I mean, I love minoxidil for almost every type of hair loss. It's not the most cosmetically elegant. I've played around from the liquid to the foam and, you know, it's a personal preference of what people like. Sometimes the liquid, it has uh, propylene glycol in it, which can be very irritating to the scalp. So if someone's getting itching or irritation from that, I'll have them use the foam. Mm -hmm. And the women can use the 5% foam once a day for men twice a day, but women can use the 5% once a day. They don't necessarily have to do the 2% twice a day. So I usually will recommend, you know, the less times a day, the better. (laughs) I usually will recommend 5% once a day. So just say someone's doing that and they're trying to treat at home. Maybe they're doing some supplements. Uh, I like a supplement called Nutrafol. There's also one called Viviscal. Yeah. Biotin is not going to hurt, but it will mess up your blood tests. If you're on high dose biotin, you can have some abnormal blood tests. So make sure you stop that before you get your annual physical exam. I don't think biotin is like a, something that's going to fix everything. You know, it really just doesn't. Well, it's funny enough because we've got a trichologist over here called Mark Blake. He is amazing. He does come over to America sometimes and invade you guys so you might British invasions (laughs) yeah you need to like look out for him if he comes over but he said at the end of the day biotin is a protein and for us in the UK or America we're not lacking in protein in our diet specifically so although it's nice to have it's not quite as necessary as the product companies make out and the supplement companies make out it is when they're selling it to everyone Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a vitamin that's a building block, you know, so if you're deficient in it, 
if you're deficient in anything, you're not going to be able to build hair, right? So you always want to make sure that your nutritional quality is really high. You know, we tend to have higher calories than nutrition nowadays, especially in America. There's so much processed food and our farming procedures have really taken out so many of the nutrients from the soil. So we're not getting the nutrients we want. So I really try to encourage people to have nutrient-dense foods as much as possible. I mean, when I, I spent a month in England and I ate scones every day and they were so good, but I know they're not really nutritious. They're calorie-dense. Exactly. They're not nutrient-dense. <laughs> they do have fruit in sometimes, but I don't know if that counts. I, I would think very minimally, but my palate was very happy that month. Um, it's like I try and pretend that carrot cake is one of my five a day sometimes. So good. Yeah, it's like a, it's a vegetable. I'm eating carrot. Yeah. Yeah. So I love microgreens. Microgreens are so dense in nutrients and you don't have to sit there and chew all day. So yeah, so biotin is okay, but I often will see people say, I've taken high dose biotin for so long and I haven't noticed much. Like there's much more to the puzzle than that. So just say someone's at home and they're treating themselves with minoxidil, they're treating themselves with vitamins. Even if they purchased a low-level light therapy device. So there's a company I recommend called HairMax, and people can get their low-level light therapy. It, they're kind of expensive. They, they run anywhere if you get a comb from like a hundred and something dollars, US dollars to thousand for the hair band. I've used it for 10 years, you know, so if you dollar cost average per day, it's actually very cheap, right? Well, yes and no, because the price of electricity here is very high at the moment. <laughs> But other than that, yes. So with the laser comb, you do have to kind of do something, don't you, continually. Where with the helmet, you get what you're paying for as well is the convenience of you just sit there and let it work so you don't have to actually move it around the head and hold your arms up and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I like the comb for men that have a little bit of hair loss, you know, in a certain area. I love the band because the band... Basically, you charge it. It lasts about two weeks, so it's not very expensive on electricity. Oh, that's good. You put it in one area, and then after about 90 seconds, it beeps, and you move it back a couple centimeters, and then you know do that again and again. So I feel like you can get the whole scalp coverage for a couple hundred dollars as opposed to you know thousands of dollars. I, I may have a coupon code that you could share with your audience. I'll, I'll send that to you afterwards. Mm. Um, but I really like that. So it's very fascinating how this uh, science was discovered, this technology was discovered. So when I was training, I was in a very, very laser intense academic setting, and we did a lot of hair removal on patients, often in the military where patients have to shave. And if they don't shave, they they get in trouble, basically. So a lot of patients with skin of color, Hispanic patients, African-American patients, they tend to get shaving bumps on the neck. So we would do laser hair removal to reduce that because it can cause a lot of scarring. And as the technology became more popular in the 90s and the early 2000s, we found that we would start treating women, especially Indian women that have that little wispy hair on their face Mm -hmm. or women with a hair on their arms. And we would treat them with the laser. And what would happen is the hair would get thicker. It wouldn't go away. So if the hair is really thick, the laser targets the hair and can reduce it and make it go away. But if the hair is really fine, what happens is it doesn't have as much of a target. So it actually stimulates hair growth. And that's where, you know, some brilliant scientists said, aha, okay, well, let's use 
a lower level of the laser instead of to kill the hair to stimulate hair growth. And that's where this low level laser therapy came to be. So, but you know, I've never really thought about it because I know that the two exist mm-hmm. and I've never really thought, well, how can they do both? Right. And it's just uh, different fluences, basically different intensities, basically one stimulates and one kills mm. kind of everything in life is like that, right? A little bit can do benefit too much can kill you. So <laughs> that's kind of where we're going. With this. Yeah. Good motto to live by with probably a lot of things. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So those are three things that I think many, many people can benefit from to stimulate blood flow to the area. And blood flow is really the key to everything in the body because the better your blood flow, the more nutrients are delivered and the more waste products are removed from metabolic processes. So those are three things that I think are pretty safe for people to try if they're dealing with some hair loss. But if they have any scarring, they need to get to the dermatologist right away. Or if they've tried these things for you know, a good three to six months, they need to go to the dermatologist as well. And I mean, simple blood tests, like you want to check for lupus, you want to check thyroid function, things like that. I think many GPs are very, very well versed at doing um, initially before proceeding to other treatments. Yeah. And like you said earlier, hormone levels are so important as well, aren't they in, in hair loss and hair health? Because anything like that, thyroid or the estrogen or progesterone levels are going to mess with how well your hair grows and even testosterone as well so women have testosterone we have a fair amount of testosterone and we want to have it there that's how we build our bones and build our muscles but if a lot of it gets converted into dht it can cause a little bit of hair loss too and you know women who have pcos and things like that isn't that why is that a lot of women experience female pattern baldness when they start the menopause it's not because their testosterone raises, it's because where their estrogen lowers, then the testosterone that's there is kind of more significant and then it starts converting into DHT and then they start to notice this thinning of the hair. Exactly. That's exactly it. It's all about balance. It's not about the number or the level. It's about the balance of what's there because they all play an important role. One isn't better than the other. And there's this beautiful little dance all the hormones do, you know, between thyroid and insulin and estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, everything, that if it's not in the homeostasis that your body likes, you know, which yours might be different than mine, then um, something's going to be awry. So it gets a little tricky because we have these blood tests and we have like what is within normal limits it's based off of like average populations. And unfortunately, our average populations are not the healthiest, right? So it's within normal limits may not be optimal for you. So it always comes down to how you feel what's normal for you. If something is wrong, and you think it's wrong, it's wrong. You know, it doesn't matter what the numbers show. That's the problem. There's a huge range for these things, same as TSH for thyroid. And I don't know if you measure in the, you know, the same that we measure here, but in the U.S., I like women to be about 80 for iron. Mm. I don't want to be too high in iron because it's an inflammatory and your body kind of rusts from the inside if iron is too high. I'm at elevation right now in the mountains. It's 7,000 feet. I, I don't know. I think about um, a little more than a mile up. Wow. So uh, people tend to have a little bit of high iron here just because of the low oxygen. It makes you your body produce more. But most women that bleed tend to be a little bit lower in iron. So I like around 80. I find if people are lower than 80, they tend to not have the building blocks to grow hair. Mm. So I don't often find that low iron 
is the cause of hair loss. That someone, you know, who maybe experienced telogen effluvium who had COVID, you know, may have hair loss and now they're not going to be able to rebuild their hair because they don't have the building blocks. So you need to have the building blocks there. That's really important. Yeah, I think we're told 70 is a good level. So we probably are measuring on the same kind of. Yeah, it's like vitamin D. I mean, I remember being told my vitamin D was fine and it was maybe 20, Hmm. but optimal for us is really 50 to 8 now. And also, if you're really on that low level of normal, you need to know that. You need to be aware of that because if you're told everything's fine, you're not going to look to adapt your diet or keep an eye on it or look to make sure it stays at that level. If you're told, look, you're very close to being under the normal range or you're on the low level of it, then you still might think, oh, well, I'm going to keep an eye on it or I'm going to look at my diet because you're only that far away from it going too low anyway then if you're on that level. And yet if you just get told, oh, it's normal, and you don't think to question that, then it's not going to be long before it may not be normal. Right. And then it's harder to get it back up. Yeah. And sometimes I'll have women just supplement only during their period so they don't get too high. And when you do supplement with iron, it's best to be taken with vitamin C and avoid magnesium mm-hmm. calcium just to enhance absorption. It can be a little harsh on the stomach. It depends what form it's in. Usually the least expensive forms tend to be the harshest on the stomach because of the just the way they're formulated. But I tend to like to cycle a lot of things just so you don't overdo it. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you a professional in the hair industry? Do you feel confident addressing clients' concerns around the hair and scalp? Would you know what to do if your client began experiencing hair loss or had to go for chemo? Would you like to support your clients mentally and physically through troubling conditions such as hair loss. The Hair Therapy Hair and Scalp Salon Specialist course will make you a standout industry expert, enabling you to navigate these difficult conversations and elevate your level of client care, making all your clients feel well looked after and in the hands of a knowledgeable expert. This one day Unique insight into the world of trichology will help you raise your standing within the community and offer your clients more. For more information, visit my website or check the link in the show notes. Let's get on with today's episode. Yeah, and I think that's important as well that people consider that at different times your body has different needs Mm -hmm. and you can't just say, oh, I'll take extra iron and take it for the next 20 years and never look to change it again. So what your body needs now may change in three to six months depending on, on where you're at. So it is one of those things that you should be kind of reviewing and thinking about. Definitely. The other thing I didn't mention is uh, pumpkin seed oil. It is a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor, so it's great for the scalp for like male pattern hair loss or even female pattern hair loss as well. Pumpkin seed oil is, is a really nice remedy. And then rosemary oil that, you know, it has to be diluted. So often I'll take, um, I think it's about 10 drops of rosemary oil compounded with one ounce of pumpkin seed oil. 
and it's, it's lovely for the scalp. That's very interesting. Now, I've heard of rosemary oil before, but not using pumpkin seed oil. So that's very interesting. So do you see and deal with a lot of scalp problems as well? Or do you mainly specialize in hair? Yeah, no, no, no. The scalp is part of the skin. So I deal with a lot of scalp issues. And, you know, sometimes things on the scalp can be from the skin, you know, and other times they can be from the hair follicle. So that needs to be differentiated. I'd say the two most common things that we see on the scalp, the first one is called seborrheic dermatitis, which is basically just really bad dandruff. And you can also get that in your eyebrows, around your nasolabial fold, which is the corners of your nose down to your mouth. And then we see it on the beard area as well. Like anywhere there's hair, the glabrous skin is what we call it. The other thing is psoriasis. We can see psoriasis on the scalp. And that tends to favor rather than be diffusely scaly around the scalp. It tends to have um, more of a thicker white scale and be on the frontal hairline or the back of the hairline. So um, can't always tell the difference. Sometimes it takes a little bit of playing around with treatments to find the cause. But those are probably the two most common scalp conditions that do not involve the hair. And they really shouldn't cause hair loss. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people with psoriasis almost feel like it because it gets so clumpy, doesn't it, around the hair follicles? Or if they pick at it, they start to pull the hair out, don't they? Which is yeah, not good. Itchy. Absolutely. Yeah. I just like to reassure people that if we can get the skin under control, their hair will grow back. So it can be alarming. Like we talked about earlier, you know, they're having itching and scaling in their scalp and now they think they're losing hair. So, you know, we, we treat the skin issue and the hair will naturally come back. But it's very difficult when something is itchy and it's there all the time and it bothers you because it's easy to say, don't touch it. I know. I always tell people like nobody wants to feel pain, but we tend to accommodate with pain, you know, and I've seen this in my mother, you know, when she had cancer before she passed away and like she was under a lot of pain, but after five years, you kind of get used to pain, but itching will make you insane. Itching will actually drive you crazy. People go crazy when they're itchy. I've experienced it. I've seen many people experience it. So it's very fascinating because it's the same nerve receptors as pain, but it's a lower level. So it's kind of the same thing. It's just a lower level and it's pretty easy to treat the itch, you know, but you have to stop that cycle of scratching because the more you scratch, the stronger the nerves get, the more stimulated you get to itch, you know, and it's a bad cycle. So sometimes things like cold ice packs will sort of break their urge to scratch and dig at the area or rub the area. Yeah. And you have to sellotape gloves around people at night so they can't do it when they're asleep. I don't know. I, I would do it anyway. <laughs> I can't expect anything from anyone else I wouldn't do, you know. It is tough, though. It is tough. Right. So what help or advice would you give to someone suffering from hair loss? I want people to understand we have typically around 100,000 hairs on our heads, and it's normal to lose about 150 hairs a day. I have pretty long hair, and I'm always finding hair on me or scratching from it because it fell on my back or something like that. So that's the normal amount. And then when you shampoo, it's normal to lose a little bit more hair than that. I think everyone is really comfortable with their pattern and they notice if they're losing more or not, you know, so you just want to see if it, how long it's been going on for. So if someone thinks they might be losing their hair, what would be a good first step for them? Yeah, I mean, 
you have to go back to those initial questions that I asked, you know, like, is it falling out in clumps or is it slowly thinning over time? Because those are both very, very different etiologies or causes. Mm-hmm. I think what I want people to understand is number one, they're not alone. You know, this is thing that many, many people are concerned about and are experiencing. So you're not alone. It can be very embarrassing, but there's a lot of experts and a lot of help out there. And there's newer technology coming out all the time that it's not something that you have to accept or have to live with. That's really something that I want somebody to realize. There are treatments out there, but I also want people to know that it's not as simple as taking a pill or it's not as simple as just doing one thing. It can be very, very complicated and there's many, many causes. So you really have to go to an expert if you failed over any of the over-the-counter simple therapies that we had discussed, like supplements and low-level light therapy and minoxidil. Those are all good starting points, which I wouldn't waste your time with if you're scarring, you know, but if you're not scarring, those are three good things. If you have had a baby or you had surgery or you had COVID or a, a major stressor in your life, like a divorce or a death in the family, you can experience telogen effluvium, which is hair loss about three months after the event. And that typically lasts six months. So sometimes it's just waiting it out, making sure you're having, you know, the supplements and nutritious food to help your hair have the building blocks to grow back. But if it lasts longer than that, or seems to continue to progress, really seek the, the help of an expert. Yeah. Cause I think that's a good point as well, because the people that know these things know, but a lot of people probably don't realize that if they're starting to experience shedding to look back, they think, what did I do last week? They don't think, what did I do two, three months ago? What happened? Exactly. And so if there was a trigger that when it might've started, it might be further back than you think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It can even be as back as six months, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And it can last six months before the hair starts to regrow. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing to support your hair, I mean, I'm not an expert on what kind of products to use or anything like that, but stay away from the heat tools and, you know, which my hair is super curly. So clearly I straightened it today, but stay away from the heat tools and all the traction things that we talked about pulling your hair back in a braid or a ponytail or clips, because I've seen alopecia right on the vertex or the back of someone's scalp just from twisting it up and putting a clip on every day that clip kind of slowly tears up the hairs there so just pay attention to that so you could support your hair to grow back if you know that you always put a clip in the same place and you can see that there's less hair there breakage or gaps then it's worth a try to move the clip for a little while isn't it and leave it yep and see if that works because you'll soon know whether it was that that's causing it or whether you need to get it checked out for something else. Right. I mean, by soon we mean three months. So it's, it's going to be three months because your hair like typically grows about a half an inch a month. Yeah. That's the average more in the summer, less in the winter months, you know, things like that. Funnily enough, I've been hairdressing for 23 years and I did not know this. I mean, it shows a little bit of the gaps in education in the UK which are being changed now that we only really learn mostly about Caucasian hair unless you study like afro hair different ethnicity hair grows at different rates absolutely and has different thicknesses like red hair is the yeah. type of hair yeah and there's certain conditions like central centrifugal 
scarring alopecia, we used to call it hot comb alopecia, that really is prominent in Black women. And we don't quite know the cause exactly, you know, mm-hmm. but we do have some treatments and we have some associations and we're kind of starting to get to the bottom of it. But yeah, everybody has different hair and curly hair is different from straight. And but I think Afro hair only grows something like 0.9 centimeters a month or something. So they're more prone to having certain scarring alopecias and it grows back even slower exactly so you'll see a change even longer time so yeah I know if you have an insult to the area from traction or from anything it's slower to resolve because of the slower hair growth there's so many individual differences that there's general statements we can make about ethnicity but everyone's their unique person you know so we 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 can't really quite say I just say on average about a half an inch a month you know (laughs) yeah And, you know, that's another thing. Hats are a little trendy nowadays. And I like hat use just because it protects the skin from sun, which I'm sorry to say that I know you don't want to avoid the sun because you don't get a lot of sun. But in Arizona, we get a lot of sun. So I try to get people to wear hats to protect skin from, you know, skin cancer and wrinkles and Mm. brown spots and things like that. And um, while someone's undergoing hair loss treatment, they'll often get a whole variety of hats and, you know, maybe style their hair differently to strategically cover up where the hair loss is. So there's things we can do that can be creative. So no one knows you're having the hair loss while you're going for treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Even you can use like hair toppers, can't you? And kind of bits that you can add hair and mask it. This is the problem, isn't it? Even one of my daughter's friends the other day, I cut her hair and you could see where the skin was so much pinker from the sun through her parting than anywhere else on the scalp and she's only eight but the problem is there is a little parting there but you can't really see the scalp so it's really difficult to put sun protection on there and we don't really think about it and it's when you're walking around or you're busy and you're out and about and you're doing things that's when you're going to end up catching it isn't it not when you purposefully go and sunbathe and then you probably might put a hat on or put sun cream on or sit in the shade it's all the day-to-day exposure Absolutely. Yeah. And also when you're not sunbathing and you're standing is when the head is getting the most sun. Mm. So wherever the part is, is going to be where you're getting the sun. And when you're eight, you see a little bit of pink, but when you're 40 or 50, that's when you're getting skin cancers and having to have surgery. So I love hats. I think hats are wonderful. And sun cream is never going to replace what physical barriers will do, you know, but with that being said, I do want people to take vitamin D. Vitamin D works as a hormone more than a vitamin. And it's very necessary to good vitamin D levels, even to have a good mood. I mean, it gives you energy and mood. So I typically will recommend people take 5,000 IU of vitamin D, a high quality vitamin D, especially if it's with K2 every single day, you know, and you really can't overdose at that at that level. Yeah. And Really, if someone has got low vitamin D, low iron, or their thyroid isn't right, you're probably going to find they are going to feel like they've got no energy, aren't they? They're going to feel a bit tired. Everything's going to be that little bit harder. Mm-hmm. So right. it's definitely a good idea. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what would you say are the most popular treatments that you offer? That I offer, I think we cover the over-the-counter things, you know, with minoxidil, the low level therapy, Nutrafol or Viviscal are two popular, really good supplements. Mm. And I mean, in my office, it depends on the cause. If it's something like scarring alopecia, we'll often do 
injection of steroids into the scalp. I'll have to do injections, uh, sometimes topical antibiotics, not because there's an infection there, but to reduce inflammation. So often in dermatology, we use antibiotics, uh, sometimes at low levels, not because of an infection, but because they're anti-inflammatory. And we really want to reduce inflammation because often there's lymphocytes and there's a lot of inflammation around the hair follicle that's contributing to the scarring and the hair loss. And then for things like alopecia areata, where the immune system gets a little confused and thinks the hair is foreign and attacks itself, we can do intralesional steroid medications. There's some new medications coming out uh, called JAK inhibitors that are very, very promising for this treatment. Mm-hmm. They're very expensive. A lot of the newer technologies are expensive. So we don't just start with that. We pull them out as a last resort, you know, especially if somebody's getting alopecia universalis where they're losing hair everywhere, eyebrows, scalp, arms, legs, that can be very, very scary, especially when we lose the eyebrows because they frame the face, you know? So eyebrows are so important for the way you appear to yourself and others. Definitely. I feel that with hair loss, if the eyebrows are involved and the front hairline, even if they're only losing 20 or 30% of their hair overall, is going to have a more impact on them than if they're losing it, say, at like the back of their scalp. Right. Especially for women, I think that's when it starts to have a real impact on how they feel, whether they want to go out, going to work, all those kind of things. Absolutely. And I mean, you can even see uh, the changes of eyebrow style over the years, over the decades, going back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, and how the same person with different style eyebrows can be so different looking. So yeah, eyebrows are really an essential part of how we look and losing them can cause a lot of distress. So I I can be pretty aggressive in treating those. Yeah, definitely. It's one thing I like about talking to people from different countries because you can use different medication at different strengths and different ways to what I can. And it's quite interesting to hear how people in different countries are using different things and how things are changing and developing. And then you can see trends in what people are using. So it is quite interesting from that point of view as well, because even if there's something that you're using that I can't use at the moment, if it's successful, you might find that it will obviously spread and come over and yeah, and there's um, we have compounding pharmacies here. I can order a mixture of any combination of things I want. So I might, for instance, order, you know, the Latisse, the eyelash grower, that's the Mataprost. There's something called Latanoprost mm-hmm. and mix that with minoxidil and even ketoconazole or tretinoin. Like you can mix all sorts of different things that can help enhance hair growth. Mm-hmm. So compounding pharmacies are where you can learn little tips from around the world and take those medications and have them formulate what you want to use topically, which is really fun. But also I think it does really help because like you said about the hair loss, having a lot of different triggers and factors to it, sometimes treatment is not going to be successful unless you do two or three different things, or you might need something topical and something systemic it's not always just going to be one thing's going to do it sometimes you need to attack it from a couple of different angles don't you so if you can literally make everything bespoke for your patient then that's really going to help to make sure you get the best result possible exactly exactly and just being patient that's the hardest part 
is being patient because I mean, if you have a patch of eczema or even a dermatitis on your scalp, we can see it turn around within a week, but hair loss, it takes three months to even notice if anything is improving or not. So you have to be very, very diligent and deliberate about, you know, sticking with one thing and being patient before you, you start modifying because confusing the hair follow-up is not often a good thing. And I think the problem is as well is it's always there, isn't it? So you're going to be looking every day for that result and you can't really, can you? You just got to leave it. It's <laughs> hard. Easier said than yeah. right. Exactly. It's very easy to tell other people to be patient and leave things alone, isn't it? I know better. I've been doing this long enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else you would like to tell us about specifically or? No, I feel like we've covered everything. I mean, hopefully we answered everyone's questions. And I mean, I can't really say, oh, this is your hair loss cause and this is what you need to do because as you mentioned it's very bespoke it's very personalized there's many different causes you have to look at someone's entire lifestyle what they're doing on a daily basis and evaluate their scalp so just know that there's help out there you don't have to live with it if somebody has told you in the past that you know it's normal to just have thinner hair over time I don't think you need to accept that yeah and the amount of people as well that live with things like psoriasis and just kind of say, oh, well, I've got psoriasis. There's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. And it's really not true. Although you may not be able to ever cure it, you certainly can help make it a lot more livable. Exactly. There are certain conditions or diseases that can't be cured, but they can be controlled. And sometimes they do actually go into remission. So mm-hmm. it can be controlled though, for sure. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of like scalp massage. This is not science-based, but I like a little scalp massage as well, because as I mentioned earlier, anything that increases blood flow uh, and lymphatic drainage is going to be helpful. So exactly. And stress reducing, yeah, relaxing, many benefits. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We always get told that the scalp massage is placebo and it doesn't really do anything. But I do really dispute that because I think it does help with the lymph drainage and it does help increase blood flow and it is a stress relief. So I actually think it does do quite a lot. And it's free and it's not going to hurt and placebo helps 30% of the time. So I'll well, exactly. 30%. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes just the thought that you're actually doing something and taking action is helpful. Exactly. And at the very least, you know, maybe your significant other can do it and you can connect. Yeah. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Be nice. We'll have to get them trained up. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, that's, that's an order. I'm writing a prescription for that. So we'll take one of those. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. Thank you very much, Dr. Jen Haley. You're welcome. It's been lovely to meet you. So glad to be here. I hope I was helpful for your audience. And it's such a pleasure to speak and connect with you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hair Therapy Podcast. Please share this show with anyone who you think might benefit from it. Don't forget to rate, subscribe and review the show. It really helps me grow and reach more people. Until next time.